0: more human by graham brown digital transformation we've all heard it but what exactly is it well let's break the word down digital transformation let's look at the digital part obviously a technology transformation we talk a lot about it but what exactly is transformation trans change form shape digital transformation is the changing shape of business caused by digital technologies that is why digital transformation is not about digital per se it's about story it's about people transformation is a story every story is a crossing of the threshold every story is moving from past to present to future and leaders in this story are the director of that story The actors being the brands, the companies, the teams, the data, the technologies in the story. So leadership really is about taking companies to where they need to go, not where they want to go. And that is the leadership challenge. Digital transformation is not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. All transformations are a challenge. All transformations are a depart from staying the same and that's why it needs to be a story because you can't give digital transformation to a manager because digital transformation for a manager is a process of optimization whereas for a leader digital transformation is a process of disruption it's a process of change to transform you need to change you need a new paradigm Optimization is really the same, but slightly better. That's not digital transformation. That's like looking at the early websites on the internet and saying, well, this is like brochures, but online. And that is exactly what the early internet companies did. They took brochures and they scanned them and they put them online. And they were called brochureware, 1996, 97, 98. And I know because I had a company that designed websites back then. Brochureware was everywhere. That wasn't transformation. That was new media, but business as usual. In the same way, when you look at webinars today, it's new media, but business as usual. It's still boring old events companies creating events, but online. You know, I went to a webinar the other day and for the first 10, 15 minutes, they started the live stream, but they waited for people to join and, and take their seats just in the same way you did in the old days when you went to a conference or an event. You walked in, you got your coffee, you got your cookies, you went and then found a seat in the big banqueting hall and the round tables and the white chairs and all that. And you sat down and then you had a chat and then you picked up the manual and then you had a look at all the freebies and opened all that stuff and ate the sweets that are in the bowl in the center of the table. And then you waited for people to start. And 15 minutes later, it started. But today, 9 o'clock, not 9.15, 9 o'clock we're ready to go because if you wait 15 minutes, boom, it's gone. They're off looking at pictures of cats on Facebook. The whole industry of events offline was built on a different paradigm and you have got to think about it it was a paradigm very much like casinos which is a captive market captive attention you go into the hotel and then you're transformed into this strange world where there are no you know when was the last time you went to a conference and it had windows to the outside world remember doesn't Offline conferences, they don't have windows in the same way that casinos don't have clocks. When did you last see a clock in a conference? They don't because the whole model is built around captive audiences. People fly there, people walk in. You know, they're there for the day. You feed them, you give them coffee, you give them lots of reasons not to get out and leave. But in the online digital world, you can't take that model. It doesn't work because there on my screen, I've got Slack, I've got Facebook Messenger, I've got WhatsApp, I've got the browser, I've got the constant clicking of different things going on. I'm leaving every single 60 seconds. You know, if you look at the latest data, the average person unlocks their phone 110 times during a day. So what does this mean? It means that if we are to be successful in digital transformation the focus is on transformation the focus is on a new paradigm and to accept the new paradigm which is uncomfortable we have to have leadership tell the story of the changing shape and rather than saying this is digital transformation what we need is leadership who say this is the shape of the business we need to become when Tony Fernandez stood on stage and presented his vision for AirAsia 2.0, it wasn't the airline with digital. It was the digital travel company, the digital lifestyle company. It was a company that had to face uncomfortable truths like, for example, yeah, we may actually sell competitor airline tickets on our platform. That is a crossing of the threshold that managers and quote normal quote people cannot get their heads round. And that is why you need leadership to say, look, we have to cross the river to get to the other side. And that is not optimization. We're not gonna get there using the same way of thinking that God is here. Digital transformation is about change and change is always uncomfortable people do not like change people like to keep things as they are that's why transformation needs leadership you have a look at the numbers and it it makes sense You know, I'm going to talk about the the AirAsia numbers before the pandemic, because I read today in the news that AirAsia is looking for $600 million in cash to keep afloat. And it's going to raise that on the private markets, not by going to the governments for a handout, cap in hand, as many airlines will get serviced, bailed out with taxpayer money, not AirAsia. They're going to do it by going to the market. And if the market says no, the market says no. But the reason why I talk about AirAsia is because let's see how the best companies do in the worst times. You know, it's great to talk about digital transformation when things are good. You know, the rising tide rises all boats, they say. And often, you know, a, a, a very bullish market can hide a multitude of sins, But let's see how those companies perform when they're up against the ropes. You know, I'm talking about that great quote from Mike Tyson who said that everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Well, digital transformation. Let's see how all those companies do and their forecasts and their spreadsheets. Let's see how they're doing now. They're up against the rope and getting punched in the face by the Asian century the COVID-19 pandemic, artificial intelligence and the fourth industrial revolution, work from home, and you name it, there's going to be another crisis just around the corner. Our world is full of crisis. You know, crisis isn't just one tsunami that hits. And I lived in Japan and I remember very clearly the Tohoku earthquake in 2011. And you look at those sort of gut-wrenching scenes of the tsunami hitting the the uh, you know the northern Japan in Sendai. You know, that those kind of images it's interesting when you see them, they're not like you see in the movie. I'm sure if there was a movie I mean it might be in like Independence Day or something like that or the the big wave or whatever it's called. You know, those those sort of movie images of tsunamis are very different from the reality and I think it's the same how we deal with change and crisis we expect this sort of big crisis to hit us and then boom you know it's kind of like everything changes but it's not how it happens crisis doesn't come in tsunamis it comes in multiple waves if you look at for example the Tohoku earthquake and the the waves you know that those waves just kept coming and coming and coming you know, it just kept going up and up and up. It wasn't like this big wall of water. They didn't have this wall of water that just hit the beach. Instead, it was just this gradual rising. that just kept going on and on and on, like relentless for hours in sort of like mini waves, midi waves. And just the whole thing kept, you know, until they were like, I think, you know, like they, they where we lived in Japan, one, one of the uh, things that you have to learn so it's a little bit of an aside. When when I lived in Japan in Kanagawa, which is the sort of southern tip of, um, you sort of if you, if you sort of plumb a line down from Tokyo through Yokohama, you get to Kanagawa, which is like a, a beautiful place in Japan. It's got beaches. You can see Mount Fuji, and um, you know what's great about that is you've got the sea. But the only sort of people in. Japan who like living by the sea are the three types of people and surfers uh, Japan's got a huge surfing community and where we lived in Kugunuma Kaigan was actually the sort of surf hotspot in in mainland Japan because you could actually surf on the sea under the you know the sort of like the view you could see Mount Fuji whilst you were surfing it's pretty surreal so surfers, the second people who liked living by the sea or didn't have a choice were poor people. Old people, poor people who lived by the sea because it was cheap. And then the third group was foreigners like myself because we think living by the sea is a good thing, but actually in Japan, they don't like living by the sea unless they're fishermen or you know any of the above because actually the sea brings death. And you think about it is that that whole sort of crisis that hit japan you know that they they have for many many years been focused on managing crisis and so if if you lived in kukunuma kaigan as we did then you had to as a part of your you know training you had to have this bag which you kept by the the door And if the tsunami siren went off, and that's pretty damn scary because it went off a couple of times whilst we lived there, and often it's false alarms, it's triggered by, you know, maybe a quake several thousand kilometers away at sea, it's triggered automatically. You wake up at three in the morning and you hear the siren going off, and it, you know, it's basically telling you there's a tsunami. And it's like, no joke. Like, this is not some okay this is going to be a small wave because you've seen this already hit Tohoku so people you run three in the morning you go and grab your bag plastic bag and in the plastic bag you've got all your kind of survival stuff and you've got like I don't know we we had to have all these kind of biscuits in there you know, survival biscuits, these high-calorie carbohydrate biscuits. And you had to grab this bag and you had to run. And you had to run to what they call the hinantokoro, which basically means in Japanese, the evacuation place. And everybody had a designation hinantokoro, which basically would be a school or a, a parking lot or some building that you had to get to, which had a minimum of four stories. Because they had worked out in the Tohoku earthquake that if you were in the fourth story, your survival rate was like 90%, but anything below, you know, you would gone because that's how high the water was when it hit. You know, when it, many people think about tsunamis, they think this massive wall that destroys everything, but it's not. It's like this gradual rising of water and it rises so fast. It reaches to the top of the third floor in these buildings. And that's, the impact of multiple crises, and we are there right now. We are experiencing multiple crises. All those crises above: artificial intelligence and the the fourth industrial revolution, and the loss of jobs, and the destruction of a whole strata of society. Highly skilled, high-educated people who are going to be replaced. The professional management class are going to be replaced by algorithms. Look at the data on PwC. PwC recently published some data which showed that one single algorithm replaced 340,000 hours of lawyer time. Think about that digital transformation. How do you communicate that? Because that's wiping out people's jobs. Then you've got the Asian century. Think about that digital transformation. What does it mean? It means that Asia is no longer the warehouse to the world. Some of the best startups are coming from Asia. And think about the crisis, the pandemic. Look at, for example, work from home. This is what digital transformation is about. These are the exogenous shocks that force us to make change that may have happened in decades or years. Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, recently said that we've experienced two months of, sorry, we've experienced two years of digital transformation in two months as a result the pandemic and the transformation part is not simply taking digital and implementing it but it's understanding what new mindsets we need and work from home is a great example of this you know work from home is not the office but at home and the reason being is that the office is itself a manifestation of the functional need of business You know, we had offices, we had departments because we needed to pull resources, a silo of resources, information and people in one place because that was a model built on efficiency. There were more gains to be had by putting 1,200 lawyers in one office than having them distributed across the market, as is the case in GE's law department. But now the open market, is better at solving problems than the company department. And that raises a fundamental question. What is the company department for? Why do we need an office? Because if you look at Grab, Gojek, Uber, that shows us with the right digital technologies, we don't necessarily need to have a company department to solve this problem. The open market platform is a lot more effective. So now you look at, for example, very much pipeline models of business, like, for example, airlines who are now facing huge disruption as a result of the pandemic. This was brewing for years and then boom, along came the pandemic and changed everything. They have to adapt, they have to transform, and a manager is not going to get them across the threshold. That is why it requires somebody like Tony Fernandez to stand up and lead Air Asia to Air Asia 2 a global digital lifestyle platform. So think about that, that digital transformation as a story in three parts, past, present, future. Past, what is the backstory to why we're here? Present, what is the challenge we're facing now? And how do we recognize that challenge, name it and deal with it? And future, what is the shape of the airline that we want to become? Past, this is the old model of airlines. People traveled. It was a captive market. You couldn't just simply set up an airline and fly where you wanted to. And therefore, the whole model was built around pipeline and efficiency. Of course, you don't want planes to crash. And therefore, the whole model is based around minimizing risk and minimizing loss and minimizing waste. At every single level of that pipeline, just in the same way that if you had a pipeline, it's the controlling the flow of oil. You don't want the oil to leak outside of the pipeline. That is the model of the airline that has served us for God knows how many years. But that's not the model that's going to take us forward. And the interesting thing is that, that the whole business of operations, is this functional fixedness of how business operates is based around the pipeline. We had offices, we had brands, we had this whole idea of a department, and we had control, and we cu- controlled PR, and we controlled communication, and we controlled our brand, we controlled our people. But that's changing. And change requires crossing the threshold. Change requires moving from being a pipeline to a platform. From control to curation. From top down to bottom up. From centralized to decentralized. From departments to people. From mission statements to tribes of purpose. From efficiency to effectiveness from polished PR to authentic communication, from brands to people. And that requires significant transformation. And look at the numbers. Air Asia traded before the pandemic at 10 times earnings, which is nowhere near Netflix territory but it's probably at the higher end of what an airline would trade at today who knows an analyst suggested that if air asia was to get its data play right it would see its pe ratio by 3 times you know amazon trades at 80 times pe while netflix around 150 so the changing shape of air asia is not about becoming a digital airline. It's about becoming the Netflix of travel. Think about that. It's about a digital lifestyle platform that owns data. And who knows? After the pandemic, when it re-emerges, it could become, it could trade at 150 times earnings. Because Netflix, believe it or not, used to sell CDs. Sorry, DVDs. It used to rent them, mail them. Who would have thought that a DVD rental company whose whole business was on based on getting a product from A to B successfully and then back again could become the world's largest entertainment company? Think about that for a minute. Taking a product from A to B and successfully back again could become the world's biggest entertainment company think about that as an airline taking people from a to b and successfully back again and collecting data in the process about what that person liked doing could that then become the formula to transform an airline into the world's biggest travel company So what is digital transformation? Digital transformation ultimately is a story. It's about choosing a map. It's about helping people understand how to cross that threshold and ultimately telling a story of the company, the shape that you need to become. And that's why I talk about transformation as owning a map. You know, when you own a map, you change people's worldviews. And I could do a whole podcast series on maps alone. And if you read my human communication playbook, you'll you'll find out about maps and how they influence us. And that's what leaders do. Leaders choose the map for us to follow. Because managers can't lead, they follow. They follow the guide that you've laid out for them. So choose your map and own it. If you don't have a category for digital transformation, create one. You know, you don't have to be a digital airline. You could become a digital travel company. Red Bull didn't choose to become a soda. It chose to become an energy drink. And this is key to retaining barriers to entry on the other side. Because once you transform and you implement digital technologies, what you also do is you participate in the democratization of tools because every technology that you have will be a technology that your competitor has so whilst you think it may actually be giving you advantage what it also does is open the doors to equality every ai algorithm every you know every app every whatever it is your competition has access to as well So, whilst digital transformation may be a great liberator, it may also level the playing field. What's left on the other side is the category that you've decided to own. The story you tell and the data you collect. That is digital transformation. Ultimately, digital transformation isn't about digital, it's about people.